This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Sandy Carter, Vice President of the Amazon Web Services. Sandra, or Sandy Carter, is an American businesswoman, speaker, and author. She is the general manager at IBM from 2013 to 2016, and in April of 2017, she became a vice president at AWS. Now, Sandy holds a, a bachelor's degree in computer science from Duke, an MBA in, from Harvard. She's fluent in eight programming languages. She's authored five books. She was won all kinds of awards to include, uh, most recently last week, the Fed 100 Award. She is the chairman of the board of a nonprofit called Girls in Tech. She's a professor at Carnegie Mellon. Oh my gosh, Sandy, I'm exhausted just going through this. First off, thank you for making the time to to be on this show. Oh my gosh, that's completely my honor and my pleasure. I cannot wait um, to share some of these um, insights to help others, I hope. Well, Sandy, you know, this show is about leadership. So I got to ask you uh, my standard first question. Can you describe your leadership style? Oh, let's see. I would say authentic, authentic leadership style. So I don't try to hide the fact that I am a technologist. Uh, I like to say that I'm a geek girl and I really love it. I don't hide the, uh, the fact that I am a woman. I uh, still wear pink. In fact, if you could see me right now, I am wearing pink. You know, I share quotes. So I'm, I truly try to be who I am at all times and not try to be someone who I'm not. So have you found that being a woman leader in a male-dominated situations, which, let's face it, in high tech, having been uh, in many of the, the largest high tech companies myself, I'm, I'm the only person, I, 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 nobody looks alike at the, the table sometimes when I'm in a leadership meeting. Um, can you tell me that you've had to lead a little bit differently in situations like that? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes that authentic leadership I talked about earlier, um, it's a little challenge to have that come through, but but I'll, I'll share a story with you. I had um, been asked to take on a team and it was a turnaround situation. It was my first second line situation and um, and I was still quite young. And so I went into the, the team who really needed a big turnaround in their output And you wouldn't have expected it at all because the team was so incredibly talented. Each person was, I guess I should say. And so as I came in and assessed it, um, I was like, you know, if this team just communicated and worked together more, I think we could just knock the doors off of everything. And so I had this brilliant idea that I was going to leave a quote on their desk every Monday morning. I leave a a quote on the desk that emphasized what they could do and what they personally brought to the table, their superpower, if you would, to the team. And so I started doing this. And after about three or four weeks, one of the guys on the team who happened to be six foot five came into my office and he said, we got to talk. I was like, sure. What's up? And he, you know, slammed the door shut and said, we've been talking and we hate your quote. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, yeah, he goes, it's a really girly girl thing to do. And you happen to notice the whole team is guys. We don't like it. Stop it. And he left the room and he slammed the door again on the way out. And so I really had a choice to make, you know, do I 
change my style because it was a male dominated team? Or do I go with my gut, what, which what I thought was the right way to lead this team? And so I kept doing the quotes. Um, fast forward seven years, that same tall gentleman was retiring and I got invited to his retirement party. I was no longer his manager. By the way, I should add, we turned the team around and they delivered amazing, amazing results. So I got invited to his retirement party and uh, I walk in and the table is the table of honor and I'm sitting at it. I was worried the guy was going to poison me. I wasn't sure. And then his wife came over and he said, you, she said, you must be Sandy. And I said, yes. And she goes, oh, my husband used to work for you. And I go, I know, I know. He hated the quotes. I know. And she goes, what are you talking about? Um, one of the presents that his kids got him for his retirement is a leather shoebox. And he put all your quotes in that leather shoebox. In fact, after he left your team, anytime he got discouraged, he'd pull out one of those quotes and he'd use it. You impacted his life. You changed his life forever. And I share that story because leading as a woman in a male-dominated uh, industry or field can be challenging. There's a lot of pressure to change your style. But I still believe even today that if you're authentic, if you're an authentic leader, that is really what will make the difference. Leading in that fashion will help you become successful. Well, that's a great story. Um, any stories you can share about a challenge where you faced an obstacle that you couldn't get through uh, or, or was just such a big challenge? Well, I would say, um, you know, one of the stories that I, I love to tell is um, it's really a, an aha moment for me at Amazon itself. Um, when I came into Amazon and I hadn't been here very long, and of course, you know, everybody knows about Amazon. Amazon's so amazing. And, you know, these people are innovating and doing all this great stuff. And wow, look at the successes. And uh, after six months, I had made a, a mistake, pretty, uh, a pretty, you know, big mistake. I caught it quickly. I learned from it and I changed things around. And um, one of my bosses asked me to come and present in our leadership meeting how I had made this mistake. And this was not a small leadership meeting. There's like, you know, people sitting in the room, hundreds in the room. There's people listening from all over the world. And they wanted me to come in and share my mistake and how I'd gotten through it. I had seen this happen before uh, with some other folks, but it was really no one at my level and no one who really had shared something like this before. And so um, it was a real leadership challenge for me. I was like, you know, would I get branded as being a failure or making a mistake six months in or and I, I listened to my boss and I went ahead and shared the story, shared how I changed the situation. Many other teams raise their hand and say, hey, I had that situation too. I'm going to use your best practice. And the bottom line was uh, because I shared a big obstacle, I had failed. I had come through it, been successful. And then all these other teams wanted to know how I could do it and how I could share that with them. It really taught me a lot about Failure. You know, people always say that you learn the most from your failures, but typically you don't want those to be so visible. And for me, this was a big challenge, something I got through and was very encouraged because my boss had challenged me to do it in such a way that led to a great outcome. That sounds like a great environment. Learning from your mistakes is gold. Um, Sandy, you know, you, you sound like you've had some great leaders that you have worked for in the past. Does anyone come to mind in any important lessons that you learned from them 
beyond, you know, what you just talked about? I mean, is there any advice that you got from one that sticks to you today? Yeah. So I'll, I'll use three examples. So one is from our new CEO, Adam Schlesky, who is, um, he came over from Tableau. He was the CEO of Tableau. Now he's the CEO of Amazon Web Services. And um, I guess I'd call the leadership principle maybe learn and be curious. And what I loved about Adam's example is he's been asking lots of questions in meetings. And we've seen that before, but a lot of times when a CEO asks a question, you know, after the CEO asks a question, tons of work is spun up behind it. Okay, he must have asked that question for a reason. Let's go do all this work and you know, we'll come back and present it to him, or at least we'll be smarter about it. I loved what Adam did. He asked a question and he said, look, I'm asking this question because I am curious. I want to learn. Please do not go and spin up a bunch of work. There's no secret message behind it or anything. I'm just looking to learn. So it set the example that everybody learns and be curious, but also just because he as a CEO asked a question didn't mean that a bunch of work had to be spun up. Um, I think other leadership lessons for me is the value of having a sense of purpose. I wrote a book called uh, Profit and Purpose, and I knew the importance of purpose, but I really saw it lived out uh, with my previous boss, Teresa Carlson. She motivated and inspired over a decade, a team to grow one of the fastest growing businesses at AWS because she was always emphasizing the purpose, the mission, what we were trying to accomplish, changing the industry, changing the world. And that sense of purpose has stuck with me. Um, and I continue to try to motivate my team that way. And then, um, you know, don't be the smartest person in the room. One of the things that I try to do, and I learned this from one of my mentors, is over hire for the role, hire people smarter than you, develop them out, grow them, give them great big opportunities, because that is the way your business will expand and grow as well. So that would be my three, learn and be curious, create a sense of purpose on the team, and don't be the smartest person in the room. Well, Sandy, I just feel your energy, um, you know, just talking to you today. I've read something on your LinkedIn page, um, a story that you shared about your team giving you a giant explanation mark. So you have to tell us a little bit about that, but tell us what you do to stay so grateful and positive thinking. Well, the exclamation point. So if you haven't got an email from me, then you probably don't know. But anybody who has knows I put exclamation points everywhere because I, I am very enthusiastic. I'm very passionate. And it hard, it's hard to have that come through in an email or a chime or a text. So I just put exclamation points everywhere. And so they gave me and presented me this gigantic exclamation point because they said the thing that they would miss the most was that I was that energizer bunny for them. I kept them going and thinking that they could do it regardless of what was happening around it. So for me, how do I stay grateful and positive thinking? Um, I would tell you that one of the things that my grandmother taught me is that you can do anything in the world that you put your mind to if you stay positive, if you um, can stay focused on what's going to get you through it. Everyone has challenges. Everybody does. There's no one who doesn't have a challenge. And so you've got to figure out ways that you can motivate yourself. So some of my little tricks, life hacks, if you would, imposter syndrome, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, wow, you know, um, 
should I really be here? Should I be in this space? You know what? You know, maybe today's not going well. So I keep this folder called yay. And anytime someone sends me something that's really positive, I put it in that folder. And anytime I start to feel like, oh, man, I go to that folder and I read it um, and I keep believing the positive things that people tell me. Uh, the other thing I do is I always try to think of different life hacks about how to make sure that we're integrating work and life together, especially right now during COVID. So one example is my daughter came home one day and said, hey, there's a great mom and daughter tea tomorrow I want you to go to. And wouldn't you know it, it sat right on a customer meeting. So I decided I would not let that happen again. And so what I did was I volunteered to be the calendar mom as she was going through um, elementary school and middle school so that I knew when these things were coming up and that I could use this life hack to help me be uh, an effective leader and to stay grateful about being able to be a mom and an executive and a leader and a wife. And I could do that work life um, integration as well. I also stay positive today because I have the best team in the world. I have the best job in the world. And that always uh, really energizes me having that amazing network around me. And my last little story here is I wear, if you, if you can see me today, you see that I wear a necklace. I never take it off. It has a stone in the middle and then all these little stones around it. My grandmother gave me that necklace to say that you're in the center, but you can do nothing. You can't sparkle. You can't shine. You can't glitter without that support network around you. You need that family, that team, those friends. You need all of that in order to be successful. And that's the way I maintain my energy and my positive thinking. I'm speaking with Sandy Carter, Vice President of Amazon Web Services. After the break, we'll discuss the importance of successful leaders to giving back. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Sandy Carter, Vice President of Amazon Web Services. You know, Sandy, you are very active in the community. You are a chairman of Girls in Tech, and I'm constantly reading about how you're helping startups and other organizations to help find their way. Why do you feel so compelled to give back to the community? Do you believe it's important for uh, an important trait for leaders overall? Oh, yes, I absolutely do. In fact, one of my mentors early on in my career said, you know, no matter where you make it to, whatever level you are to be successful, you've got to reach back and pull others with you. And I believe that's what it's all about is being active in your community. If you can't pull others forward with you, if you can't bring them along with you, when you get to the top, you're going to be super lonely. And I feel it's our responsibility to pull others up and to support that next generation of leaders. You know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so it's really important that we do that in such a way that we have a diverse group of folks that we're helping too. So um, I partner really closely, for example, with the African Leadership Group. You mentioned girls in tech. Uh, I do things with people with disabilities. I do that because that diversity is so important. And again, pulling others up makes all the difference in the world. So you mentioned Girls in Tech. So let's talk about that because I read a little bit about it. What a great charity. So tell me a little bit about Girls in, in Tech and why you chose that particular charity. Yeah, Girls in Tech. It's important to me because when I, I, I have a degree in computer science and math, 
And um, I always wanted to one day tell my, you know, be with my daughters and have them look around the classroom and see 50% other women in that classroom. Um, and so I support girls in tech who are really working with uh, women in college and kind of their third or fourth job out um, to help with entrepreneurship. We've funded over five, or helped get funding for over 5,000 entrepreneurs, help them learn technology. We had 75,000 participants in our coding and design and startup boot camps. And we also do what we call hack for good. So that, you know, hashtag tech for good is really important to me. We had 59,000 women participate in our hackathon series, solving local and global problems. So for me, it's just another way to, that I can reach back and pull others forward with me. So throughout the segments, you have talked about women in leadership and women in tech. Sandy, you've been a leader in technology for over a decade, and women are still drastically underrepresented in leadership in technology companies. Any stories uh, you can share about how you faced an obstacle and how you've got through it or how you believe we could change this dynamic and and get more women in leadership positions throughout tech? Yeah, those are great questions. So um, one obstacle and how I got through it is a great story of male allyship. Um, I had gone to Japan with my boss. And at that time, I was extremely technical. And I had gone out there to do some work that fixing some problems that they had had in Japan, specifically around some of their kanji characters. And um, when we went out there, uh, we went to the customer and I was the expert. So the customer would ask a question and I would answer, but the customer wouldn't respond unless my manager, who happened to be a man, answered the question. So this went on for a while. You know, I found it really insulting, but it was a customer and so my, my boss said, hey, I need to take a break. He called me out in the hall and he said, look, I'm going to leave because this is not right. Uh, I'm just going to tell him I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go back to the hotel room. You've got the meeting. And uh, went back in. And of course, the customer had no choice but to talk to me to get the answers to his questions. You know, so I got through that because I had a boss who saw something that was happening that was not appropriate. He um, really made a strong point, both to the customer and to me. And without his allyship, I would not have gotten through that. It really links into my, um, my story about how can we change the low representation? I think we do it the same way. We can't do it with just 50% of the population. We need men to help in this force to change the game. I started a group um, called DOD not Department of Defense, but Dads of Daughters. Uh, because I found in all the research, if you have a dad of a daughter and the dad encourages the daughter in math, in STEM, the daughters actually graduate and are more successful. 2X more graduate with a, with a STEM degree, 5X more successful. And so I always try to embrace um, the men that are around to help them help us change the situation. It takes diverse leaders to make tech more inclusive. And if they recognize that, I think we could really change the low representation that women today have in tech. I'm going to change this around a little bit. I uh, read about something in 360 Fashion Network that they created a hot pink wireless charging wallet designed by Anna Nett 
and named the Sandy after you and is on display in the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago's Wired to Wear exhibition and is for sale and the museum shop. So those of you who would like to have one can get one. So first, tell us about how this came about. Tell us about what it's uh, for and, and, and why you participated in, in having something like this out there. Well, first of all, 360 Fashion Network is founded by Anita Nett, who happens to be probably the most visionary startup founder and CEO that I know. She comes up with the most brilliant ideas, I have to say. You mentioned at the beginning that um, I help support startups. She's one of several startups that I help mentor. We've got startup accelerators today in um, healthcare and space and clean energy. And Anita Nett happens to be one of those founders that I supported. Um, and so as we did that, she was using a lot of technology. She's an ex-fashion model. She's using a lot of technology embedded into fashion. Her dream was not to be a model, was actually to be a coder. And that's what she's done now. And so she created this wallet that has embedded IoT in it. And um, we were talking one day and I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if in honor of all these great women in tech, that you name these wallets, these IoT empowered wallets after these great women. And so she did that. And I was very surprised to see that she named one of them after me. And of course, my signature color is pink. I mentioned that earlier on. So she did the hot pink one after me and the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago selected that wallet and my story um, to exhibit. For me, it's an amazing, it's integration of fashion and technology. It shows how a woman, a founder, can still love fashion, love girly girl things, and still be wickedly successful and drive innovation as well. She's also produced a ring that um, has IoT sensors in it back in, uh, heads out to AWS, and it will call for help if you are a woman walking alone on a college campus. She's just doing some amazing things. Um, and that's really how I got involved with her. And that's how I got this uh, tremendous honor of having a wallet named after me in the Museum of Science. That's a fantastic story. So, you know, I, you brought up startups and helping them, um, you know, AWS seems to have a really strong culture about helping small companies grow and flourish. I, I know from working at a small company now and working with you, that's definitely true. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and why, as a technology leader like AWS, why your company feels so passionate about you know making this effort and helping small companies out there be successful. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. Well, I will tell you that Amazon considers itself the world's largest startup. We're actually organized like a startup. We have all these two pizza teams. Um, and the reason we do that is we, we don't ever want to lose that love of innovation, of disruption. And so um, we try to keep that going and we want to support others like that. Before I joined AWS, I actually ran a small startup myself out of Silicon Valley. And so... Um, Founders are very close to my heart. I think they are the heartbeat of the world, actually. I mean, think about Madeira. Madeira was a startup and used AWS to solve the COVID vaccination, for example. Um, we've been working to help startups in all different ways, to help them with technology and also to help them with the mentorship they need in, in a variety of industries, too. So, for example, I mentioned earlier that we have an accelerator for clean energy. 
we have an accelerator for space. We were just at the space symposium. And these startups are solving some of the world's toughest challenges about space. And you may be sitting there going, oh, space, like, why are we wasting money on that? But the data, the information that we're getting from space helps us here on Earth as well. So being able to, you know, help with that passion or being able to help with the Bahrain Women's Intensive Program that Kate at Allison has done, you know, those things make the world a better place. They help to change the future. And these are just a small way that AWS can give back to those who look like we did when we started a startup. I'm speaking with Sandy Carter, Vice President of Amazon Web Services. Coming up next, we'll talk about being a leader that's trying to lead through change. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. And today we're talking with Sandy Carter, Vice President of Amazon Web Services. So Sandy, what is the relationship between leadership and culture? You know, how does leadership affect culture? How can it affect our elected leaders today with everything that's going on? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, culture is so important for any company or agency or government or country. Um, one of my favorite sayings is culture eats strategy for lunch, meaning that you can have the world's best strategy, but if you don't have the culture to support the strategy, your strategy won't last. It won't be successful. And so, you know, one of the things that I love about Amazon is Amazon spends time on their culture. We have these leadership principles and, you know, other companies that I've worked, that I've worked at, you'll have a set of leadership principles on a poster board in a conference room, but you never use them. I use these leadership competencies every single day. I speak them. I hear them. It's just such a powerful way to transmit the culture. I'll give you an example of one. When I first came into Amazon, I got this door as a desk. So it was actually a, physically a door put with legs on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, why do I have this door as a desk? Well, people came and told me that it's part of our culture. Jeff Bezos, when he started Amazon in the garage, he didn't have money to buy a desk. So he took an old door, put legs on it, and it became his desk. And so that door symbolized the fact that we are a startup, we are frugal, um, we are innovative, we're going to figure out a challenge, no matter how it comes at us. Uh, we also give out a door award for that honoring of that kind of message. And it is those type of things that live on in a company that really mean something to the culture. It guides everyone from how they do their job to direction of how they make decisions. It doesn't tell them what decision to make, but it tells them how to make that decision. And so for me, nothing could be more important than the culture of an organization. You know, there's never been something time when leadership and culture is more important than some of the uh, the issues and stresses that we've recently have been facing with COVID-19, with the social unrest, with some of the issues associated with racial uh, equality. What leadership qualities do you really think are needed during these very stressful times like we are experiencing today? And the change needed to lead an organization effectively as we move out to what seems to be like the new normal, which will never be the old normal at all. 
Yeah, it's a great question, Aileen. Um, I would say that one of the top leadership qualities that I believe people need during a time like this, and it's a leadership principle from Amazon, and it's called customer obsession. And why is that so important? Well, it's so important because the market continually moves. I had one of my favorite restaurants here in Seattle, you know, white tablecloth, very fancy restaurant. They had to pivot. They obsessed over their customers and they did delivery and they gave you a white tablecloth in your delivery bag. And they did concerts on Zoom. They played jazz. So as you were eating your meal at home at your own dining room table, you could listen to this concert, this jazz concert. I think that that leadership principle is here to stay forever. And I believe it helps companies to get ahead and to move successfully, regardless of what that new normal looks like. Um, I also think other leadership qualities, uh, one I started was called hashtag take care of the team. And uh, during COVID, of course, we were all virtual, but I, I really believe there was no playbook. So no one told me what to do. But I just believe that making that virtual connection, despite working from home, was going to be so important. And so we did crazy things. In fact, this morning, we did a team trivia game that everybody loved. You know, we had 80 to 90 people on the phone, not even all of my team, but part of my team on the phone playing trivia. We did a, a farm event where the person went around and walked around their farm with llamas and cows with a go camera. And we invited our families because now we have work like integration. We did virtual wine tasting, chocolate and tea. I mean, you, you just can't even imagine. And we started this day of generosity as well to give back to that community. That hashtag take care of the team, that empathy really makes a difference. And then the final one I would do is, um, you know, leading by example. It's really funny, uh, Aileen. I posted this uh, thing on LinkedIn. So I had been using at the bottom of my email, this truly human notice that just said, look, I'm going to send this when it's convenient for me. You send me back a reply when it's convenient to you, because we're all working these crazy digital hours that, you know, have no bounds. And I posted it on LinkedIn and I've had 1.5 million responses for encouraging that work-life integration. People said, you know, this reminds me that I need to ask for help. This reminds me that I need to make sure that I'm not responding to email at three in the morning. It was just moral support and a real proactive way from an executive to show that empathy leadership or leading by example. So those would be some of the leadership qualities that I think are really needed during times like today. Now you're the vice president worldwide public sector for partners and programs at AWS. And I've seen you actually uh, reach out in the same kind, authentic way with the partners. Tell me about your role and um, maybe how you've helped partners through some of these tough times. Oh, I told you I have the best job in the world because I work with the most talented partners and partners for AWS are partners who maybe provide consulting services to a customer or technology solution like our ISVs, or they're helping to scale the business like distributors or resellers, really helping taking some of that education to our other partners. Um, we do that across the board in government and healthcare and space and not-for-profit 
uh, global defense, et cetera, we have a really strong reach and almost 70% of our public sector business goes through partners today. So this role I view as being very crucial. Um, I am a servant to my partners. I help them serve their customers. Um, I'm a conduit to the sales team that exists at AWS to help connect them into the right technologists and sellers and service team development team so they can get better insight. So I view my role as being uh, very special and very essential and especially being a servant to those partners as well. So has your organizational top priorities changed? I mean, what are they right now? Um, If you were to give your top four priorities, what would they be? Yeah, so um, we call them the the three M's. And uh, one is mission. It really links in, Aileen, to our discussion earlier about purpose. So mission is about serving the value that our customers bring to the table. So whether that's digitizing a hospital Um, maybe creating a satellite to go into space or helping a nation regain their language like Presidio did with Cherokee Nation or Nubriel did with smart diagnostics for COVID. Mission is really important to us. Migration is another one. Migration is about getting a customer's workloads over to the cloud. And that's important today because when you move your workload over to the cloud, you actually get more agility as a business. So we're customer obsessed. We want to help our businesses move faster. Uh, One example of this was Databricks with um, USCIS, where we were able to help increase the number of data sources to be used with analytics. So we were not only able to get them more information to make better decisions, but speed up that decision-making process by 24 times. So migration is our second M. And then our third M is modernization. And this is really going back to my geek girl heritage. It's about helping our customers and partners leverage and use new technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, Internet of Things, containers to really add more value to their customers, to be able to do it faster and sharper and provide better decision making capabilities. So those are our three M's, mission, migration and modernization. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Sandy Carter, Vice President of Amazon Web Services. Next, we'll find out Sandy's advice to the next generation of federal leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Sandy Carter, Vice President, Amazon Web Services. So, Sandy... Uh, You have had a decade of experience in the tech industry. Over the last decade, the technology landscape has drastically changed. And with the evolution of cloud computing, uh, what Amazon Web Services, AI, quantum, 5G, how do you believe this technology and the advances that they provide will change our lives? Oh, wow. I think it's going to have a huge impact in our lives. If you think about it, um, it's already impacting our, our everyday life. Like let's think about COVID. If we didn't have cloud for sharing of research information and data, we wouldn't have found vaccines as fast as we did. Or, you know, one of my favorite partners, um, Axel 3D, they're able now to use technology and actually help accelerate kidney transplants 
which is not revealing an ROI, a return on investment, but a return on lives or ROL, because they're saving lives by using this technology. Um, so I think that the technology has made our lives better. Imagine if we had COVID and we didn't have things like Zoom or a mobile device or even internet. I mean, the technology and the cloud, AI, quantum, and 5G have made such advances. And we can see it around the world from call centers where you're called in to get information about COVID to your health, to helping digitizing hospitals, um, you know, even to providing assistance for states and countries, getting food to the right place, masks to the right place during this whole time. So I think you've already seen technology change our lives significantly. How do you believe that technology advances will change the way government accomplishes their mission or helps with their constituents? Well, we saw this very vividly uh, during COVID. We saw, you know, governments trying to handle calls coming in just to answer basic questions about COVID or to alleviate the fears that, you know, citizens had because they were able to, um, you know, execute on a call center that was driven with machine learning, it accelerated and enabled them to scale, to save money and to address all those questions so much more um, quickly than they had before. We even had states calling in, Aileen. It was taking, you know, eight to 12 hours to get through all the calls. People were on hold and they executed those call centers in the cloud with AI and ML and we're able to answer calls in minutes versus hours. Um, just, you know, just one example. Um, also, we had countries, uh, countries in Latin America, where they were trying to make sure that their citizens had, um, you know, food at the right place. And they were able to use the cloud to look at data. You know, COVID sped up digital transformation from data by 5.3 years, according to Trilio. And uh, it really enabled them to accomplish the mission they had, even here in the U.S., getting masks to the right place, doctors to the right hospitals was impacted by our technology. So I do think that government accomplishes their most important missions today in the cloud. You know, the Biden administration clearly wants to keep America in the lead on technology and innovation. Um, with the, you know, the, so many different acts to include the Infrastructure Act, which actually has very specific language in there about leveraging cybersecurity and, and cloud computing and different technologies to help get their job done. What do you think is the hottest areas and why? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one is artificial intelligence. And, you know, the U.S. government has uh, committed to spend $2 billion on artificial intelligence to make sure that that is used throughout the government to keep us ahead in innovation. Um, it's one reason we started an AI rapid adoption program so that we could help assist our partners and our customers figure out what's the best way to use artificial intelligence and how could it provide the most value. Um, you mentioned cybersecurity. We believe that there's nothing more important than security. We consider it job zero coming before everything. And, um, you know, from the executive order to really looking at partnering with some great cybersecurity companies like IronNet, Telos, Trend Micro, that cybersecurity area is crucial for the government and America to, to lead in. Uh, we see now that a lot of the battlefields are not physical battlefields anymore, but they're cyber battlefields. 
And then I would also say that we are now also seeing what we call IT modernization come to be. In fact, with the new technology modernization fund, you know, it's now a revolving fund of a billion dollars to encourage agency modernization. Well, what's modernization? Um, modernization is things like, you know, using containers, um, taking a legacy system and migrating it to the cloud, adopting zero trust architectures. And so I would say that cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and modernization overall, especially with data platforms, are going to be crucial to keep America in the lead for innovation and technology. Sandy, you sound like you've, you've uh, just aced the ability to be able to get people to see the art of the possible and adopting change. How do you coach your teams to support partners and customers during this period to help them help the, the customers you both serve to be able to adopt this technology, to adopt the change, to lean in, to find new ways of solving their mission and actually doing it more effectively? Yeah, well, you know, from a, one of the first things that we struggled with was we were very much of a you know, relationship driven team with our partners and our customers, meaning that we would go out and meet with them and talk to them and listen to them and help them solve their problems. That was really hard during COVID because all you had was virtual. And so um, I tried to lead by example. And one of the things that I kicked off was a hundred by a hundred tour. So while I worked pre COVID, I traveled to 87 different countries that was physically not possible. And so my 100 by 100 tour was I wanted to meet with 100 partners in 100 days. It really became a model for my team and other teams and other orgs of ways to connect. Um, I did an AP visit. You know, I was up at, you know, two to four in the morning because that was their time zone or on the time zone of Europe. I wanted to make sure that I made it convenient for the partner and I made the meetings to where they could tell me what was on their mind and how I could help them. Just like we did hashtag take care of the team, we also did hashtag take care of the partner. So we always started with them as a person and then their um, companies as well. Some of the other things that we've coached people on is how to use technology to support the teams too. So, you know, in addition to things like Chime and Zoom, we also have digital whiteboards where they could whiteboard with someone. And we wanted to make sure that they were able to communicate and help the partners in the best way. So those were some of the ways that we coached our team to really form some of these virtual relationships and to leverage technology to make those virtual interactions more effective. So Sandy, let's talk a little bit about you. Can you describe your career path, maybe what your first job was, how you, how you uh, entered into this field? It's so funny. You know, they always say pivot, pivot, pivot. When I was a startup leader down in Silicon Valley, they told me you're going to pivot multiple times, which was so true and very true in my career path, too. You know, I started out at a younger age wanting to be an astronaut. And then I decided when I was in high school, I'm going to be a doctor because I want to help others. Um, it turns out that I'm very allergic to a lot of the medicines and cleaners used in a hospital. In fact, they make me pass out would make me a horrible doctor if I came in to see you and I just passed out. And so my advisor happened to be not just in the Duke Medical School, but also uh, an advisor and a dean at the computer science school at Duke. And um, he encouraged me to try computer science. And this was kind of way back when, when computer science wasn't a thing. 
um, my first, my, my actually senior thesis was on how you could use programming to test drugs instead of testing on animals. And so it just kind of added to my overall interest in STEM. And so my career path has never been a straight line in any form or fashion. It's always been about what I love, what, what am I passionate about? So, you know, if you look at my career journey, I've done many different technologies from SOA to AIML to containers to cloud. I've done multiple um, functions, marketing and sales, engineering, you know, um, business development. I've owned a startup. Uh, I worked for a big company, a small company. I've written books. And so all of those pivots, I believe, add to my value that I bring to any company, any customer or any uh, partner. So um, my advice would be don't be afraid to pivot. In fact, look for the pivot. You have a daughter. Uh, you have, uh, is this the advice that you've given her to follow in, in her career passion? I actually have two daughters and yes, I have. And they have pivoted uh, over and over again. I have to tell you. Um, even in deciding what they wanted to study, um, you know, in college, um, one is uh, preparing to go to college and she really wanted to do tech. She wanted to be like me, but she didn't want to code. I started out coding. And so she's actually studying how to use technology and computer animation, you know, to design some incredible things. And I think she's pivoted. I think all young, young people will pivot and they're like, who really knows what they want to be when they're 17 or 18 years old? Um, I think that's what makes a career powerful and vibrant is that you're constantly learning. Um, in fact, I was looking at some of the World Economic Forum data. Most of the, of the highest paying jobs today did not exist five years ago. Data scientists, you know, machine learning. It's just crazy. And so if you can't pivot, you can't love change and you can't learn and be curious, I don't think that you're going to be successful in the new world. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Sandy Carter. Sandy, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some seriously valuable advice. Thank you so much, Aileen. I really appreciate it. And I would encourage um, anyone who has questions, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, follow me. I'd love to hear those questions and learn more from you too. Aileen, it's been such an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sandy. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Your plans? Today it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. Or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. Or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.